My name is Matt. It's good to see you. We are continuing uh, our deeper series, so we're just, we're just going to keep doing the work, if that's all right. Um, we are going to be celebrating communion um, at the end of our time, and I just want you to, to know so you can have a heads up, and we'll talk more about that uh, when we get there. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that, um, that you would help us to hear your voice this morning, um, Spirit of God, that you would speak to each one of us where we are. Lord, help us to know you more deeply, um, to follow you more closely. That's uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, does anyone here have someone or something in your life that you wish was different? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it could be, I'm going to give you some examples. I know you can't think of any. Uh, it could be a, a financial circumstance. It could be a job that you're not thrilled with. Uh, maybe something in your living situation. Maybe you have a friendship that you wish was a little different or a dream for one of your kids that's maybe not coming true, a parent who frustrates you. Uh, maybe it's something about your personality that you wish was a little bit different, or your body, like if I could just change this one thing. Uh, maybe it's your marriage, your spouse, if I could just get him or her to, you know, whatever it is, or if you're not married and you want to be, maybe it's the lack of a spouse. Maybe you're here and you have a health issue and you've prayed, you've prayed, you've had other people pray, and it's not getting better. Obviously, many of us have things in our lives that we can point to, a circumstance, a person, a disappointment. There's something kind of in between where you are and where you want to be or where you think happiness is or fulfillment is. Uh, for a lot of us, this longing for things to be different takes up so much of our mental real estate. We all experience this gap between what we long for and life as we know it. And in fact, I think that's actually one way to think about suffering, that this, this gap between our, our longings and reality. Um, and so what do we do with that? And as we're going to see, a lot of our longings are actually, our desires are good things. The problem is, our suffering is actually prolonged. Every time we fail to accept the, the gap the, between the longing and what actually is. Put that another way. Our suffering is prolonged the more we try to fight reality. I don't know if you're like me at all in this, but usually the impulse is one of two things when this happens with this gap. Uh, one, we try to fight it, or we try to escape reality. Maybe your thing is to fight, to do everything you can to try to change. Uh, if it's your marriage, it's to change your spouse. If it's your body, it's to work out, to diet, to do all the things. If it's the sickness or the job loss, you know, we just want to get in there and fight, and there's certainly a place for that. The other option for some is to escape reality. Uh, numbing ourselves with TV or food or alcohol or, or working out too much or, or making our career everything and overworking or whatever it is. We are capable of basically forging endless paths to try and escape. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark 14. Uh, we actually looked at this passage 
on week one of Deeper, which was several weeks ago. And it's the scene where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's on the night before he's eventually arrested and crucified. And I want to look at this again briefly, because there's something here that Jesus is showing us about what we do with our frustrations, with the difficulties and the things that we don't want. Uh, Mark 14, starting in verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. So again, from week one, Jesus is really honest about his emotions. He says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. He gives God his feelings, his emotions. And then he gives God, uh, secondly, his desires. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Jesus says, is there any way that I don't have to go through with this, that this hour might pass? This is a Jesus who's overwhelmed, who's wrestling. Uh, Here, Father, take it. I don't want it. And then he goes on, and this is the part I want to focus on. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Not what I want, but God, what you want. So, in this moment for Jesus, there's, there's all this stuff he can't control. All these things are spinning around him. He, he can't control Judas, who betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. He says, are you going to betray me with a kiss? Like, you're my guy, right? I've spent three years with you. You've turned on me. The religious leaders who are supposed to kind of speak for God, they're the ones who start this whole case against Jesus. Soon the crowds will be chanting, crucify him, and the Romans will execute him in one of the cruelest forms of punishment ever conceived. Jesus can't control the disciples in this moment. Um, They all fail him in his hour of need. They're nowhere to be found. Peter, who had earlier talked a big game, I'll drink the cup that you drink. And yet when this happens, where is he? (laughs) He's gone. All these things are spinning around Jesus. He can't control people. He can't control so many of these circumstances that he himself doesn't want. You have Jesus in his darkest hour, overwhelmed, saying, God, not what I want, but what you want. Notice in this that Jesus doesn't fight these things he can't control. Um, In Matthew 26, when Jesus is arrested, Peter, of course, being Peter, comes out swinging Uh, And Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. No, we're not going to fight. Peter, this isn't how we're going to do this. Um, He doesn't fight. Neither does Jesus run to escape from his reality. In Matthew 27, while he's hanging on the cross, people mock him. They say, if you are the son of God, save yourself Call on God and he can end this pain for you. And instead of calling down angels, Jesus remains with the pain. He remains on the cross. In Matthew 27, um, on the cross, he's offered, Jesus is offered wine 
And Matthew gives this detail mixed with gall, which is an herb that, according to some historians, had a narcotic effect, and he refuses to drink it. Instead of taking the edge off of his suffering and trying to escape it, again, he stays present to his reality, to his pain and his suffering. More often than not, we cannot change our reality. That there are areas in all of our lives where there is a painful gap between what we want and what we're experiencing. We all face things in life we don't want. All we have to do is live long enough. We all end up saying things like this. This isn't how I planned my life to go. This isn't what I had in mind. I didn't see this coming. Or I never thought this would happen to me. And this is the kind of thing that happens to like other people maybe, but not me. It's that surreal feeling like you're standing on the outside of your life, like looking in. I just, I'd, I never imagined I'd be in this place. Or how about this? They won't do what I want. They won't change. They won't listen. I've done everything I can think to do. And then if you're like me, you try harder, right? You dig in a little bit more. Maybe if I drive that person crazy, maybe then they'll submit to me. And of course, what happens is it pushes them farther away. Um, You cannot make a person do what they don't want to do. Okay, you can for a short period, but then they go to middle school. (laughs) And then those days are over. (laughs) Or how about this one? I feel helpless. Here's an insight. Um, you know, when I like feel helpless in a situation because I've done everything I can think to do and there's nothing left to do and I feel helpless, do you know why that is? Because often I am. <laughs> like there's so much that we can't control. I mean, I can identify like, yeah, uh-huh, that's me <laughs> with every one of these statements. When we've done everything we know to do, When we've taken responsibility for what's ours to take, we've prayed and prayed. We've exhausted all of our options. Then what? You know, we all pretty much want the same thing, I think. We all want, like, happiness. We want to be fulfilled. I think beneath that, like, deeper than that, we want contentment. We want peace. And the truth that none of us really wants to hear is that if we are going to be content, if we're going to find peace, it's not going to come through fighting, it's not going to come through escaping, it's going to come through accepting life as it is. Um, I want to say a few things here. That's not to say that longing for things to be different is wrong. Often it's not. I mean, look at Jesus again in the garden. He had just enjoyed a meal with close friends, but hanging over him is this knowledge that in the coming hours and moments, he would be betrayed by his close friends, he'd be mocked publicly, he'd be unjustly condemned, tortured, and crucified. And with longing in his voice, he says, my father, if it's possible. In other words, let this suffering pass over me, take it away, change it. So the longing is is okay, but he goes on, yet not as I will. The desire itself, that's that's not the problem um, for Jesus or for us. But what happens when we pray and God doesn't change 
our reality. When the cup of suffering doesn't pass over us like we'd hoped and things stay exactly as they are. Can we say that if things don't go our way that God is still God? Or when things don't happen according to our timeline or how we would orchestrate them, that he's still God? I mean, I want it to go this way, but if it doesn't, if it goes this or that way instead, see, becoming like Jesus, living like Jesus intends for us to live means we are becoming people who are learning to practice acceptance. So you have this area, and you're working so hard to force it, to essentially be God in that situation. And so you say, okay, God, apparently, you are God, and I'm not. And so it's yours. Not my will, but what you want. Also, I'm exhausted. And so I surrender. For those who accept reality, joy, listen, life, fulfillment is waiting for us on the other side, just like it was for Jesus. And so it means praying, God, help me to accept, fill in the blank, my body, my story, my job, my Enneagram number. I'm mostly sure about uh, my wound, my mistake, my family, my background. I mean, the goal is to come to a place where we can calmly hold reality as it is in our minds and be at peace, even full of life, even full of joy. Now, that said, acceptance is definitely a process. This does not happen immediately. It doesn't happen overnight. We've been mentioning a few times the, the stages of grief, uh, perhaps you're familiar with, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Um, and as we've been saying, those are often not linear. You kind of come back around. They're circular. But it's probably not an accident that, that acceptance comes last. It's why last week we talked about embracing grief and loss. Another way of thinking about grief is the gap between our longing and reality. And so we have to let all these other emotions run their course. We have to be honest. Um, we have to honor our pain and give it its space. That means to grieve, to lament, to get angry, to get it all out there before God. You can't just think your way to acceptance. It's not a switch that we flip. I also want to be clear that there's a very big difference between acceptance over here and then like resignation or just giving up over here. Acceptance is not being passive or just rolling over and playing dead. I mean, even Jesus in the garden when he says, not my will, but your will be done, he's not being passive about that. He's fierce about that. I think there are a lot of situations where we probably have, at least I do, more agency than I think. We get frustrated with someone because they won't change and they won't whatever. And if we're honest, we'd also have to admit that we are completely avoiding the conversation because we don't want to have conflict. Okay, that's not what I mean by just by acceptance. So I'm not talking about having a victim mentality or feeling sorry for ourselves 
or not honoring who God made us to be or the truth in the name of maintaining some kind of false peace. This is where prayer, brutal honesty with ourselves, wise counsel of others comes in. And so often I find I haven't done everything I can and I need people to help me, my close friends, my counselor, to lovingly help me see that I haven't exhausted uh, all my options. Acceptance is also not a one-time experience. Um, There are things in my life where almost every single day I have to come back to, God, God, here are the things I can't control. You're God. I'm not. Rather than trying to fight them, rather than trying to escape, help me to accept what is. Lord, help me to calmly hold reality in my mind and be at peace. And I just want to say, if you're not there yet, that's okay. It's not overnight. It's not a one-time thing. Um, This today, it could be your message for like two years from now in certain areas. But let that be a flicker of hope for you today. So my point so far, when we truly have done all we can do, is that we have to learn to accept the limitations and frustrations we all experience in our lives as a path to peace. Now, the good news is, this is true for everyone. You don't even have to be a Christian to benefit from not trying to escape or fight reality. But for the Jesus follower, I think there is in this actually a deeper invitation. In those gaps between what we want and life as it is, we have an opportunity to discover something that I don't think we can learn any other way. At the very end of John's gospel, um, at this point, Jesus is raised from the dead. He's appeared to a few disciples at different points. And Jesus restores Peter, who had adamantly denied Jesus a few days before, and he restores him. He gives him his calling. I want you to be a part of birthing uh, the, the church and shepherd the church and all that. And then Jesus says to Peter, and I think this passage just, I keep coming back to it. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus, if you can read between the lines there, is predicting Peter's death. And according to church history, Peter did die crucified upside down years later by the Romans because of Jesus. Now, keep in mind, this is the ending of John's whole gospel. There's only a few more verses after this. And one of the verses, basically, Peter points at John over there and says, hey, what about him? Is this going to happen to him as well? And Jesus says, what is that to you? Peter basically says, hey, hey, that's not fair. And Jesus says, I never said anything about life being fair. That's my paraphrase. You're welcome to read it if you'd like. (laughs) But here's the thing. That's it. Without warning, John's done. End of his gospel, which I think is a really strange way to end a gospel, don't you? Um, Actually, the last verse, a few verses after it says, 
That scene wraps up, and then John says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Meaning he could have told us more about Jesus. John could have ended with another miracle account or some other kind of brilliant teaching from Jesus. Instead, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John ends with this personal interaction between Jesus and Peter. Meaning he's, he's doing something on purpose. John is trying to show us something important. And what Christians, in particular, contemplatives and seekers and saints, throughout the centuries have realized is, yeah, of course, here at the end, Jesus has some important things he wants to say to Peter. But clearly, the way John is framing this, there's something bigger. This is actually like a paradigm that we can all find ourselves in. Something deeper is going on. There's something that Jesus says to Peter that's actually true of us in our discipleship, in our experience following Jesus. We're invited to see ourselves in this, in our own frustrations and limitations and disappointment. Jesus says to Peter, when you were young, when you were younger, you had your whole life out in front of you, Peter. You had your dreams. You had your ambitions. You live with this sense that anything is possible. Notice the verbs are active. You dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. Essentially, Peter, you were the man. And then he says this. When you are old, you're going to experience some things you don't want. Notice the verbs here are passive. You will well, stretch out your hands, meaning against your will. Someone else will dress you. Someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Again, and maybe you're connecting the dots, but the contemplatives see this as like a framework, kind of the arc of our lives. Generally speaking, or I'll speak for myself, I guess, we often see life differently when we're young. Because when we're young, we're idealistic. Was anybody more idealistic 20 years ago? We're optimistic. We're passionate. We're unstoppable. I think of times when I was younger and I would have said, I would have said, of course, God, of course, my faith is everything. But looking back now, I wonder how true that was. Like, I don't know how much I was aware in those seasons how much I needed God because my life was going pretty smoothly. But then what happens is we live a little more. We encounter more frustrations, disappointments. We get banged up. Our bodies start to fail us. We experience loss, relational pain, relational heartache. We have more prayers that go unanswered. The gap between what we long for and what we experience starts to get bigger. Suddenly our faith is tested. We're tempted to grow more cynical, perhaps. I love how Ronald Rollheiser, a Catholic priest, puts this super long quote, but I can't believe how good, how good this is. He says, moreover, once the sheer pulse of life, so strong in us during our youth, begins to be tempered by the weight of our commitments and the grind of the years, more of our sensitivities begin to break through. 
and we sense more and more how we have been wounded, how life has not been fair to us. New demons then emerge, bitterness, anger, jealousy, a sense of having been cheated. Disappointment cools the fiery energies of our youth, and our enthusiasm for life begins to be tempered by bitterness and anger as we struggle to accept our limits and make peace with a life that now seems too small and unfair. Where we once struggled to properly control our energies, we now struggle to access them. Where we once struggled not to fall apart, we now struggle not to petrify. Where we once struggled with Eros, the god of passion, we now struggle with Lyssa, the goddess of anger. And where our sympathies once were with the prodigal son, they, are now, they now are more with his older brother. As we age, we begin more and more to struggle with God. We're confronted at a deeper level with the question of what really is most important. I know I say that I need God, but suddenly, at a deeper level, we're more in touch with like, do I really mean that? Is Jesus the ultimate source of my peace, my contentment? Or am I trying to wring these things out of other people? Is my peace and contentment contingent on this or that circumstance? And Jesus says to Peter, no matter what happens, follow me. See, I love this. I think Jesus is essentially saying to Peter, hey, Peter, when you're young, everything is sort of your God. And God is like a nice bonus on top of that, like a gift on top of that. But Peter, when you're older, because of pain, because of disappointment, you will eventually come to a place of acceptance, and you will discover in that moment that Jesus is actually God, and that everything else is a gift. Perhaps that's where some of us are right now, and Jesus' deeper invitation is to find peace and contentment in him that we didn't know was possible. A peace that has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's what Paul is saying when he writes to the Philippians, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul has somehow discovered the power of acceptance. Whatever happens, his well-being, his peace, his contentment isn't dependent on his circumstances, what he has or doesn't have. I think Paul gives us an incredible insight here, and maybe you haven't noticed this before, but Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content, and then he gives examples like you would expect. I've learned to be content when I'm hungry, because I'm not when I'm hungry. <laughs> I've learned to be content when I'm in want. So that makes sense. Why? Why would Paul say, I've also learned to be content when I'm well-fed, when I'm living in plenty, like Paul? What's there to complain about? Why does Paul include the great times? I've learned to be content when this is happening, when this is happening. I think Paul has discovered a profound truth, and it's a little bit counterintuitive. 
And I think this could help all of us experience more contentment. Carl Rayner, uh, another Catholic theologian, once wrote, in the torment, just hang with this quote for a second, in the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we come to understand that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. In other words, no matter what we attain, what dreams we accomplish, or what items we check off of our bucket list, what we experience in this world, all symphonies remain unfinished. We all experience this. Um, in fact, I think sometimes it actually catches us off guard because we don't have language for this. Um, this explains why that friendship, as close as you are with this person, as grateful as you are for, their, for that friendship, there's times when you are reminded in that that, hey, your relationships don't actually fulfill your deepest longings. This explains why you can have an experience of beauty. And if you're paying attention, often in those moments, there's like an ache that comes with that that you can't quite put your finger on. This explains why you can gather with your family at Thanksgiving. And as great as the food is, and let's just say everything's great, okay? Good food, great conversation, nice family time. You leave that time, and there's something in you that says, huh, I wanted that to be better than it was. See, this ideal that we have for our lives is constantly running headfirst into the reality. And we end up restless. We end up waiting for someone or something to come along and change things so that our real lives, as we imagine them, can finally begin. Paul's like, no, I've learned to be content in all things, even in the good things, because in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. That's why Paul goes on and he says, I consider all things a loss compared to knowing Jesus. He's my source of contentment and peace. I know that this sounds kind of a little bit depressing, <laughs> uh, but you know what it does? It actually frees us to live in reality as it is. I mean, to accept that we can't have the full symphony in this life, you know what that does? Well, it gives us permission to have a bad day, for one thing, to have a lonely season, to, to experience life where we never seem to get free of this tension. It gives us permission to not be too hard on ourselves. More importantly, it helps us stop putting so much unfair pressure on things around us, a spouse, a friend, our families, our vacations, our jobs, or whatever, to give us something that they fundamentally cannot give us. That is a full symphony. Happiness without a shadow. As Rollheiser puts it, again, for the win, we carry the infinite inside ourselves. We are grand canyons without a bottom. Nothing short of union with all that is, including God, can ever fill in that void. To be tormented by complexity and restlessness is to be human. To make our peace with that is to come to peace. 
and we are mature to the degree that our own restlessness is no longer the center of our lives. For Jesus, the way to peace is not fighting or escaping reality. It's accepting reality and finding God in it. Did you know that's where God is? Not in your fantasy life, but in your actual life. With all the pain and suffering and splinters and ways you long for life to be different. It's right there where God is. It's the place, and and we would never choose these moments, but it's the place where we can finally see all the things in our lives we've been putting in the place of Jesus. Essentially expecting them to deliver something they cannot deliver. It's the place where we're perhaps ready for the first time to finally embrace or to embrace a little more deeply the truth that Jesus is everything. He's the center. We're made for union with him. He is our ultimate peace. Everything else is a gift. I want to move into um, a time of communion and reflection here. Cliff, if you want to come back up. And I just want to lead us in a a reflection and then a prayer. And as we do this, um, if it'd be helpful to you, I have a few questions. I invite you just to maybe bow your head and close your eyes um, if that helps you be less distracted. I invite you to think about an area of your life that you long to be different. Maybe just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit in your heart right now to to highlight one or two things and just hold them in your mind. I want to remind you again, it's okay to pray, to lament, to grieve. Paul repeatedly asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh. Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But what happens when the answer seems to be no, at least for now? In that circumstance that you can't seem to change or control, is God trying to speak to you, perhaps get your attention? Next, I invite you to ask God, are there any ways I've been fighting reality? Or how have I tried to escape reality? Just allow him to show you. Where is God inviting you to be more active? That you actually have more agency and more options than you think? Where is he calling you to do? And where is your job simply to surrender? To just be? Is there an area of your life, your health, your relationships, your finances, where you are desperately trying to wring peace and contentment out of that? And Jesus is saying, The kind of peace you're looking for can only be found in me. Perhaps he's inviting you to depend on him in this season more deeply than you've ever had to before. 
may you be reminded that his grace is sufficient. What if you resolve to embrace and accept the life you actually lived? To be present to it. To acknowledge that even if it isn't what you wanted, that life can still be beautiful. That God can create something out of nothing. That his options aren't limited, even when ours seem to be. What might be waiting for you on the other side? I'm going to invite you to look up here. Um, there's a really well-known prayer from a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr from last century, and it got popularized in the AA recovery movement, but it was intended for all Christians, and I'd like us to reflect and really pray this here together. And again, this is for everyone. This isn't just for like hardcore disciples. And this is a really profound prayer. Um, so don't be fooled by its simplicity. You will probably recognize the first part of the serenity prayer, but it goes on, and there's a few more parts that most people um, haven't actually heard, so we're just going to pray all of it. So if you're comfortable, I invite you just to hold your hands maybe open in your lap as a posture of, of openness uh, before God as a posture of surrender. And let's just pray this out loud together. Would you pray this, like, with me? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. As we move into communion, um, I would like to invite the, the servers to come up. We have stations in the front and I believe in the back. Um, just kind of look around, you'll see. And I'm going to pray here, and you'll be invited to come up and to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and partake that way. Let's pray again. Jesus, we are reminded in this moment that while we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love and your unconditional acceptance of us. Your willingness to say, yes. Not what I will, but God, what you, what you want. is the gift that makes all of this possible. You've given us life, forgiveness, freedom, and we're grateful. Lord, help us as we come to the table. Um, to hear you calling each one of us where we are to follow you. In the midst of that circumstance, that difficulty, that frustration, Lord, help us to follow you and not fighting, not trying to escape, 
but meeting you in that place. May we experience your peace. May we experience your contentment in your life and your joy, even in that. God, that's something only you could do. We can't do that. And so we say thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.